0: David had a deep and personal interaction with God. Did you catch that? Now, the artist used some literary license in depicting the life of David here. But generally, the facts were true in this animated version. But especially that part about his personal, relational, uh, just commitment to his God and interacting with him in that kind of a way. I believe that the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was the principle, the key belief that we began this Believe series with last weekend. And now, this weekend, we move closer to this God to examine His closeness to us. And the principle is reflected right there on your bulletin as well as up on the screen under personal God. And I want us to say that together. Maybe some of you will need to say that by faith as we begin here. Uh, Let's go. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. you believe that? And to what degree do you believe that? There are, as I mentioned last week, I mean, people believe in millions of gods, false gods, rather than the true God who created the heavens and the earth. But even of those who believe in one God, there are different understandings of who this one God is and how he's related himself to his creation. For instance, there are some people who believe that this supernatural being just created the universe but had no plan for it and is not involved in it in any way. And in fact, whatever happens within this has already been predetermined, set up by this designer so that what happens, well whatever happens will happen. That's called fatalism. Actually, Islamic belief is there for sure. Others believe, no, there's a creator, there's a deity, but he created the universe and has just chosen not to be involved. Like winding up the clock and walking away from it. Those are called deists. But the Bible really doesn't allow for either of those. Anything beyond just a, just a perusal of it, you realize, oh no, this God, who the Bible declares created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, has chosen to be involved with his creation personal, relational involvement, and that is what is reflected in our study this week, and as you read this week, as you reflect on the words of scripture that you read, as you interact with your Ohana groups, my encouragement is for you to give serious consideration to this key belief this week, that God is involved and cares about your personal life. I've reflected some principles that I want to share with you that relate to that in your outline in your bulletin this morning. And here's the first. God is transcendent majesty beyond our finite comprehension. Transcendent means he's distant. He's beyond his creation. He, he really is. He's, he's just, uh, in fact, he's unknowable unless he chooses to make himself known. We sometimes reduce this great God to somebody that can fit in our minds and our finite capacity to understand him. But, oh, no, this God that is reflected in our universe and set forth in Scripture is transcendent. I think of David, whom we just heard about in that video. And as a shepherd boy outside of Bethlehem, When he was a teenager, I can just picture him one night on a hillside, the sheep are at rest, and and he's lying on his back, looking up and reflecting on what he's seen. I don't know how often you do that. It's a little hard to do that in Honolulu. Can't see all that many stars. But I was, uh, Dee and I were in Kula here some years ago, and uh, upper upcountry Maui. stepped out on the lanai at 2 a.m., and it's like, the Milky Way was right above us. And uh, I'm telling you, you've never seen so many stars, and there's shooting stars, and it's just it's just breathtaking. I think David may have seen that time and again out there, and later he would write this in Psalm 8. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. And David couldn't even begin to see what we can now see through the Hubble telescope and other means like that, the one they're trying to build on the big island maybe, the the universe is just a lot bigger than we ever could have conceived. That was pictured in a DVD that was shown to the men's breakfast. Pete, you might remember that a couple years ago. Louis Giglio was on a passion tour with Chris Tomlin, and they would worship God, and then Louis Giglio would talk about the greatness of God. I borrowed that dvd from paul yi by the way you can youtube it louis giglio how great is our god and look at the whole video but I, i wanted to borrow some of the things from that and i want to share them with you just to talk about the greatness of our god for a few moments for instance giglio talks about the whirlpool galaxy we've got a picture of it here it's called the darling of astronomy Because it sits perpendicular to our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, and you can look right at it there. And this Whirlpool galaxy is, it's big and it's far from us, it's 31 million light years away from us. 31 million light years away from us. Now how far is that? Well, what's the speed of light? 186,000 miles per second. So how far would that light travel in a year? 5.88 trillion miles. So if you multiply 5.88 trillion miles times 31 million light years away, that's how far this whirlpool galaxy is from us. It's way out there, okay? And then Giglio talks about four stars, just to give us a sense of perspective of the size of our Earth and us personally in this universe. And uh, the first star is the one in our own galaxy. There's only one in our galaxy, and it's called what? The sun, okay? Got a picture of it. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on its surface. If Earth was any further from the sun, we would freeze. Any closer, uh, we would burn up. Sometimes we felt that way in the last month or two, but we're not that close. It's 93 million miles from Earth. only takes light eight minutes to reach us from the sun. But I want you to consider the size of the sun in relation to the Earth. If the Earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. And and if you were to take the Earth and place it inside of the sun, it could hold 960,000 Earths. That's how big our sun is. That's huge. Isn't that a big star? But not really in comparison. Because then we get to another star called Betelgeuse. And Betelgeuse is bigger than the sun by a long shot. It's 427 light years away. It's twice the size. Not of the sun, but of the earth's orbit around the sun. Twice the size of the earth's orbit around the sun. In fact, if the earth were a golf ball and Betelgeuse, well, it would be like the Empire State Building, six times high. So you could sit this at the base of the Empire State Building, step back and look up and think, six of those, and that's the star Betelgeuse. You know how many earths you could fit into Betelgeuse? 262 trillion. That's a big star. In fact, if the Earth were a golf ball and Betelgeuse were the Superdome, you could could fill it 3,000 times. So that is a big star, but it's not the biggest by far. A third star is Musefi. And uh, it's also called Herschel's Garnet. And it's that massive red, it's just a beautiful star, sits out there. If the earth were a golf ball, the size of that would be the width of two golden gate bridges, extended one next to the other. How many earths would fit into this Musefi? 2.7 quadrillion earths. How many of you know what a quadrillion is? (laughs) I didn't until Giglio explained it, put it into perspective, and here's what he said. You know, you know what a million is. We can understand that. Just think of your bank account, OK? <laughs> so you got a million, and then a billion is a thousand millions, OK? And then a trillion is a thousand billions. A quadrillion is a thousand trillions. That's a big number. 2.7 quadrillion Earths would fit into Musafi. That's a little mind-boggling. Now, how big of a number is that? A million seconds ago, 12 days ago. So how about a billion seconds? probably thinking, oh, man, that's probably last spring. No, actually, that would have been May of 1975. That's a billion seconds ago. How about a trillion seconds ago? You might be thinking 1800s. No? That would have been 29,700 BC. That's a trillion seconds ago. And I think of our national debt. I think, oh my goodness. But anyway, and how about a quadrillion seconds ago? That would be 30,800,000 years ago. So that's a big number, right? So 2.7 quadrillion Earths would fit in Musefi, but not the biggest star. There's a much bigger star than that. And that is this one. It's called Canis Majoris. Giglio says, I think that's the Latin name for the big dog star. Okay. And uh, if the earth were a golf ball, Canis Majoris would be the size of Mount Everest, which towers six miles above the earth. You could put seven quadrillion earths inside of Canis Majoris. That's beyond mind-boggling. Are you starting to feel a little small? I think David did, even when he looked up at the heavens. And, and then he would go on and he'd, he'd express this in verse 3 of, of the 8th Psalm. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is my, man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Really, right? I mean, we're a speck in this vast universe that is yet to be explored. And yet, that's the earth, and then there's us. This God, he'd think of us, he'd care about us. Part of God's infinite greatness is understood by the vastness of what he's created, but part of his infinite greatness is reflected in the fact that he would know about each one of us, know us in detail, and care about every detail of our lives. It's just as great, isn't it? And that's what the scripture declares. God is transcendent majesty beyond our finite, finite comprehension, yet he's involved himself in our lives through his imminent presence. Yes, he's transcendent. He's beyond And he created, he's not the creation, no more than a painter is is her painting. Oh, she's reflected herself in that painting as God has reflected himself in his creation. But he's not only transcendent, he's chosen to become imminent right here with us. And we see that throughout the pages of the Bible. From the beginning, as he had that relationship with Adam and Eve, we read about that in our reading. And, and, and talked with them and walked with them as a friend. And then down through the pages of Scripture, you see him conversing with Abram and even with Hagar, Sarah's handmaiden, when she was destitute. That's in our reading as well. Here's a God who comes close to her and reaches out to care for her in her sadness and difficulty. I mean, Jacob, that rascal, uh, even though he was a rebel. God just reached out to him personally and uh, redeemed him. Again and again, we see that. Ruth, later on, centuries later, who, who was a foreigner, a widow, in desperate straits, God just reached out to her and brought her alongside. And that happened again and again. We think, well, yeah, but those are Bible characters, and God had a special purpose for them. Yes, he did. But I believe he absolutely has a special purpose for every one of us. They were listening. They were responding. And as we respond to him, guess what? He has a special purpose for each of us too, for each of our lives. It's no accident. We are where we are. The time period in which we're living, God knows about every detail of our lives and wants to use us specifically in that circumstance if we'll listen and respond. Here's the thing. In the lives of these heroes of Scripture that we look up to, we see the wonderful things that God accomplished through their lives. But sometimes gloss over the difficulties, the heart heartaches and the hardships that they experience. Sometimes it's right there in scripture. Sometimes it's between the lines and the years that flow between the lines of scripture like wow, Joseph was in prison that long? He was abandoned by his family for that many years? What was he doing? He was learning to trust God in the darkness when he couldn't see him in the light. And God was fashioning his character and his dependence upon him. Well, that happened through Scripture through the ages. And then Isaiah would come along eight centuries before Christ, and he would prophesy that that a virgin would conceive, would bear a son, a child, and this child would be called Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So though he'd been imminent, though he'd been conversing with his people, now he's going to be with us. And of course, that's what Bethlehem was all about. When Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary, and he grew, and he lived, and he taught, and he validated his teaching through those miracles that only God could do. And then he lived to die and rise again. And then he entrusted this message to his disciples. And one of them, John the Apostle, would write this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God had come close in the person of Jesus. He was with us. He walked among us. But even that wasn't close enough because Jesus, after the resurrection, before he ascended to be with the Father again, said to his disciples, he said, it's imperative that I go because unless I go, I can't send the comforter, the helper who will be with you. And of course, that would be the Holy Spirit, right? That would come on the day of Pentecost and would then come into the life of every person, put their faith in the Lord so that now he's not just with us he's in us he directs us he guides us he comforts us empowers and strengthens us this is as close as God can get to us and so we can trust him with our every concern do we can we uh, Dee and I were in an Ohana group the other night. We hope to bounce around to different believe groups, and we were in Scott and Amy McCormick's group the other night. And they they emphasized that they want to really make prayer an important part of that believe group, as as I think each of our groups does. And so they said, "Well, you can just share your prayer requests, and as you know, as much as you feel comfortable sharing." And people did. They really shared, and boy. We prayed, and I thought, these people really believe in this. They, they believe God cares about what they're experiencing. They think that he's going to do something about it. Now, do you think I'm a skeptic? Well, I, I was working on this message, and I'm thinking, that's really what it's all about. Because some people don't believe that at all. They think, God really doesn't even know what's happening in my life, or certainly couldn't do anything about it if he did, or I'm not sure he cares. That's the crux of this key belief that he does know and he does care about what's happening in our lives. As I say, not everyone believes that. I've been, I had lunch here several months ago with the husband of a woman who used to come to our church and a dear lady loved the Lord but her husband's an atheist and, well, no, excuse me, he he believes in God but he doesn't believe that God has the same capacity that I do. In fact, we swapped books at lunch that day, and we're going to get together again and talk about them. And he said, this book is, it sums up what I believe, and it's written by Rabbi Harold Kushner, a Jewish rabbi, and it's called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. And I read the book, and Rabbi Kushner's a brilliant man, actually. He has a lot of good things to say. He's seen a lot of tragedy. He had family members that died in the Holocaust, His own three-year-old son was diagnosed with a disease that would make him age very prematurely. He would die as a teenager, an old man. And uh, so he writes in this book a lot of things, but one premise that he builds upon is expressed in the title of this chapter. God God can't do everything, but he can do some important things. And he explains in here that God cares about our suffering, but he's powerless to do anything about it. He just doesn't have the ability to do some things. He says in here, well, he can, in the suffering, draw us closer to him. He can also draw us closer to one another, and he can give us strength to endure the suffering, but he can't do anything about the suffering. But the Bible depicts God in a whole different way, doesn't it? It says, as we talked about last week, he's omnipotent. He can do anything he pleases. He can do whatever he wants, this God who flung the universe out there. I mean, of course he can do something about it. The question is, does he, and why doesn't he always do it? Well, that's a good question. That's been the age-old theodicy, the question of suffering and evil in our world. The Bible says that we live in a fallen world. And because of sin, our first parents committed, the world is in a, under a curse, in a fallen state. That's why we have the calamities and natural disasters we do that cause so much heartache in our world. Floods and tsunamis and earthquakes. Sin between individuals also causes so many problems in our lives. And, and there's that. And where does all that come from? That comes from free will that God chose to give to his creatures. And that opened the door for the possibility of all kinds of things. Yes, God can just determine the outcome of everything. He can even determine whether or not we would obey him by programming us to do so. But then there would be no free will. And C.S. Lewis picks up on that. And and the one who debated Freud in Freud's last session so ably last weekend. C.S. Lewis said this. If a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what has made evil possible. Why then did God give them free will? Because free will, though it makes evil possible, is also the only thing that makes possible any love or goodness or joy worth having. A world of automata, of creatures that worked like machines, would hardly be worth creating. So interestingly, God could have said, there's no suffering in this world. Nobody's going to experience that. But in order to do so, he'd have said, there's no free will. And then we would not have any suffering. We wouldn't have any choice. We would have to love God. But he wanted a relationship where we would choose to love him just like we want our children to choose to love us. And so free will was introduced, and C.S. Lewis said that made a level playing field of the whole thing, but it allowed for suffering. Then why doesn't God answer all of our prayers? Well, if he did, some have pointed out what a world this would be. Can you imagine if all your prayers had been answered? Boy, this world would be in trouble. We'd all be in jeopardy, I'm sure. Some of the things we've prayed. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit helps us in our prayers at those times. Well, Jesus said God cares. He hears. And he answers according to his purpose. He expressed it this way. And though Rabbi Kushner says he doesn't have the capability, Rabbi Jesus said he did. He talked about how our Heavenly Father cares for the birds of the air. He feeds them. And how he cares for the lilies of the field. They're, they're clothed in more splendor than Solomon in all his glory. And then he said this in that passage in Matthew 6. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, those who don't know God, eagerly seek these things. For your Heavenly Father knows you need all these things. And the context is he cares. He will provide what you need. Well, sometimes we don't think it's soon enough or enough of what we want when we want it. But think about this. Some people who don't want God to interfere in their lives at all, when they move into a period of suffering, want God to interfere immediately at that point. That's when they turn to him. And there are many people who want God not to interfere with their joy and the fun that they're having and resent that he would even want to interfere with their fun. But as soon as difficulties and hardships come, then they're angry at God that he isn't interfering in that. So you can't have it both ways. But God says there is a way, if we trust him, that he will involve himself in our lives And though we don't always see the immediate answers that we hope, we can trust him. In fact, as it says in your outline, we can trust him with our every concern because this God of ours is the master chess player, the divine weaver. Now, I've done here kind of what you should never do in a sermon. I've mixed metaphors, okay? I just liked them both. I just had to put them in. He's the master chess player, and he is the divine weaver. I mean, we can move, but our God pursues us so much he'll countermove to give us yet more opportunities to love and to respond to him. And he'll take the decisions that we make and use them in our lives. We see this in Scripture, and we see it in our own experience if we'll look back and consider what God has done in our lives. Paul said this. I referred to it earlier. In Romans chapter 8, he said, The Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts, that's our hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, and because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, not according to our desires, but according to the will of God. And so we pray, trusting that this Holy Spirit who is translating our prayers will translate them according to what is for his glory and for our good, the will of God. And then he goes on and says, And, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Who's that? Everyone who puts their trust in Christ. We love God, often not perfectly, but we love him. And we're coming to love him. And we know that he's got a purpose for us so that we know everything that happens, he can work it together for good. And then he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Some people say, well, then he predestined some For heaven, and he predestined some for hell. That's not what that's saying. It's saying those whom he foreknew, those whom he knew would open their lives to Christ and follow him, these he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son Jesus. That's what scripture says. There's a poem that says it as well. And I've shared this before. I love this poem. It's called The Weaving. I've taken the liberty to modify it, okay, for the... the, I think it fits this passage better, and I want to share it with you. My life is but a weaving between my Lord and me. I did not choose the colors. He worketh steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride. Forget he sees the upper, and I the underside. Not till the loom is silent, and the shuttles cease to fly. Shall God unroll the tapestry and explain the reason why? The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. Our Father knows and deeply cares. He loves us, everyone. His purpose is to make us in the image of his Son. We don't know all the answers, There are times when we're confused about what God is up to, but we know that we can trust him because Jesus, who walked among us, prayed religiously. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he made time to pray, not just to say, well, this is a good example. He was dependent upon his father, and he urged us to do the same. In fact, he said, ask and seek and knock. Don't give up. Keep trusting and keep praying. So I want to encourage you this week. As you open that Believe book of a given morning, and I hope you do it at least four mornings this week, and and read through that material, uh, it's the Bible. Just ask God as you begin to read to speak to your heart. And then slow down. And just reflect on what God might be saying to you through his word that relates to your life because I'm convinced he's going to speak to each of our hearts about what's happening in our lives and and encourage us, guide us, uh, convict us, whatever we need, and then record that in your journal and uh, interact with him through the word and through prayer and then go through your day just relating to him because here's the thing, and let's return to that that, uh, affirmation because of this. And maybe you can say this with even greater faith now. Let's say it together. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Let's pray. Lord, help us to believe these truths that, amazing as they are, are declared absolutely through the revelation that you've given us, the revelation of your word and of your son Jesus and now your Holy Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.